Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, Jim Scott, will you get right over there by that edge of that corner of that stage right there? John, will you come right up and get in that little nook right there? And uh, Ray, will you come over here and get in this nook? Rob, will you get on that edge of that one there? And we'll give you an opportunity to sow seeds. Now, when you get to $500, I want you to stop, okay? I'd, uh, I just need about, uh, Phyllis is going to give two, $2,000 to uh, do what I need to do for needy families in this church. So, if you want to be a partaker of that, uh, you want to give five, ten, a million, anything of the 500 goes to them, the rest goes to me. And I'm kidding. So, if you would like to give towards those needs of those people, stand your feet. Just put it in the hands of one of these guys right here. Hallelujah. I want you to give some money. Pry your hands open. A hundred. Is freedom, mm -hmm. Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Well, I'm going to start singing, so you praise God. Better hurry. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Ray, you know how much $500 is, right? Quit putting your hands in your pocket. Okay. you to stop at 500 500,000 I'm telling you give me give me that give me good night you guys John your account how much over are you oh, I think so you do come on give just give me the money just Jim you give me the money if I don't have enough 500 you're giving the rest give me good night Hey, Jim. Good night. Give me the money. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going, you're going to have to give the rest of it anyway. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Hallelujah. Now I want to give each one of them families $10. And no, no. Hi, Gloria. Thank you, Gloria. Hallelujah. You, you got yours coming? Okay. Now I need somebody honest to count this money. That excludes all of you, so I will. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, the, who, Ray and Annie. Here, Ray and Annie. They'll be back there making out in money. Laying around throwing money in there. Here you go, Annie. Just uh, give me uh, four piles of $500. Thank you. All right, praise God. Let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew, 
the sixth chapter and verse 31. <coughs> we, uh, we have been heading for this for the last couple of two or three weeks. And uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 31 through 34. And it says these words in verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? After all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his way of doing things right. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We have a command that enables us to walk in the fulfillment of every desire and every need of a Gentile world, of a world that does not know God. And the two keys are this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now that is a progressive seeking. When you seek, you keep seeking. So the kingdom of God is established in our life. We know that we are in it, but we are to seek that kingdom. Now, the word kingdom there simply means seek the government of God over your life. In other words, let God have control of your life. Now, we let God have control of our life when we cleanse ourselves, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, of all spiritual and fleshly filth. When we cleanse ourselves up, that's why it's a progressive work. In other words, we'll be walking along and we'll see something in our life that we say, oh, man, that's not good. That's not what God would do. Then we deal with it. We get it out of our life. That means that God has now sanctified or set us apart from the entry of the devil into our life. Now we do it by the way we think. Jesus said, take no thought. Don't take thoughts. Control your mind. We know that we deal with imaginations that are mountains, strongholds that keep us from being the person that God wants us to be. We have to deal with them. We know that we have to have the mindset that Jesus had, that he didn't think it robbery to be equal with the Father that sent him. And we think it not robbery to be equal with Christ that sent us. We know that we have to have a mindset that we push forward, not that we stay connected to yesterday's, but we are pressing towards a high prize and a calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have to begin to let God be the Lord, the King, the Master, the Governor of what we see. Because remember that the eye is the window into the soul. And that if we let things in that, de that taint us or that mar us or that cause us to lose our standing with God without spot and without blame, what we do is we corrupt the whole inside of our being and we become like the Pharisees and the hypocrites we're white on the outside but we're dead on the inside and then it means that we have to watch our mouth 
that we say what God says about us. Ephesians 4.29 down through 32, that we let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. Corrupt communication that has to do with criticism others, has to do with slang to be accepted by a world that we are set apart from, as well as the criticism of other people and the judgment without true information. We need to watch what we say. Could I get an amen? Listen, words loosed are words that cannot be retaken or taken back. And what they've been loose will create the damage that you will have to deal with in another person's life. And then we think about our actions. God has to be in control of our activities. Remember the works of the flesh. We constantly yield to them. Not that we don't become ensnared and entrapped in them. That's entirely different than being open-eyed and knowing what we're doing and doing it repetitively in the eyes of God without fighting or resistance to it. Never surrender to a weakness. Well, I do it a hundred times a day. Then you keep repenting a hundred times a day and every time that weakness bothers you and you have to go to God, you know that God is still working on your behalf. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. So we have to make sure that our actions, our activities are governed by God, that he has control of the intent and the motive of what we're doing. And so it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that we pursue and we seek God's government over those four things in our life. And then it says this, and this is our message today, and seek his righteousness, his right way of doing things. There are two ways. One is right and one is wrong. One is right and one is wrong. There is the way of man, which seems acceptable in his own eyes. But every time a man reacts, most of the activity of men are born out of fear, out of surprise, out of wrath, out of vengeance, or out of emotional activity. And when we act or react out of our emotions, you can react in anger. You can react in, in hate. You react in ways that are not the ways of God. The Bible says that the wrath of man or the activity of his emotions towards a problem or towards an individual wronging him stops the work of righteousness. You know when you respond on your own, you shut down God's ability to preserve you, to deliver you, and to bless you. Amen. Amen. All right, so we understand that when these things happen, every activity of man always gives Satan an opportunity to gain supremacy in our life. See, we used to be children of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But we are not that type of children anymore. But if we go back to letting our emotions, our attitudes, our prejudgments of why somebody did something to us, if we let that invoke our activity, then we will become children of disobedience again. 
There is a right way and there's a wrong way. Now you get to choose. Genesis, the fourth chapter. There was two brothers born of Adam and Eve. It doesn't tell us what ages they were. It just said that God, that Adam knew Eve and they brought forth two sons. Some people say they're twins. I say, no, they aren't. But that's not even an argument. The argument is not about when they were born or who they, uh, if they were twins or not. The argument is that one chose right and one chose wrong. And it came on a day that those men were to offer up sacrifices unto God, which they learned from their mother and father, which Adam and Eve knew about from the garden. The tithe has never been separated from man. The tithe has always been a pillar for man. And so here comes Abel. And he brings a sacrifice and he offers it to God. God is well pleased with Abel's offering. It's like a fragrance to his nostrils. But then his brother Cain, he gets his own idea. And he comes and he does what he thinks is right. Remember, the way of man is always right in his own eyes, but the end of it is always death. Now, Cain brings what he thinks is right. God doesn't even pay attention to it. He rejects it. Well, well God ought to take what? No, no, no. Listen. God is not dependent on you. You are dependent on God. In him do we live and move and have our being. And if Jesus is really Lord of our life, if we are seeking the kingdom of God, then his government rules our every aspect, every movement, word, and thought so that he can get every need met in our life. Everything the Gentiles seeking after robbing and killing and stealing and cheating for. God will give you in a right manner if you'll do it the way that God instructs you to do it. Cain comes and he brings whatever he brings. Some people say, well, he brought grain. Some say he didn't bring a blood. He didn't bring a blood sacrifice. He didn't do this, didn't do that. Well, it wasn't a sacrifice for sin at all because the law was not given. They didn't even know they were sinning. So the blood sacrifice is not an option. It has to do with tithe. It has to do with the first fruits. It has to do with priority. It has to do with value. And so here comes Cain and he offers up his offering. He realizes God has rejected him. His countenance falls. He acts like it's God's fault that he didn't do right. But God says this, Cain, 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 wait, wait, wait. If you would do right, he must have known right. If you would do right, you would be accepted. But be careful of the decision that you are about to make because sin lieth at your door. And its desire is to have you. Now, why did God create right and wrong? To keep you from going back into the bondage of sin and for you living in the accepted place of the Lord. Now, 
right and wrong. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We don't have to elaborate on what a fool is. It's simply a fool is someone that thinks there is no God. It is right in his own eyes, but he that keepeth himself unto the Lord, he lives in wisdom. Proverbs 6.25 says this, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, and it looks like that it should be right, but the end thereof is death. Never perceive that we think we know how to handle the situation. Let us always go to the counsel of God so that he can tell us what to do and how to do it. So we understand that there is a way that is right unto man and a way that is right unto God. But there is the end of the way of man, death. Somebody say death. Now, sometimes the way of God seems foolish to us. You remember in Luke, the fifth chapter, where Peter has been fishing all night. He hasn't caught anything. He's been out there at the prime time. Man, I'm telling you, it should be the night of abundance. All the fishing holes that he's ever known, nothing. And he comes back and he's washing his nets. He's tired. He's frustrated. He's weary. He just wants to get home and wait till tomorrow and have a new beginning. Well, Jesus comes along and says, hey, Peter, why don't you go out and cast your nets? where I tell you to cast them. Peter said, look, preacher, you know, you might be good at making table legs and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but look, I know more than you do about fishing. He takes his counsel from his experiences. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go there. So Peter, in his humbleness, his humility, says this, he says, but according to thy word or at thy word, I'll do it. Though it seems foolish, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to put your wisdom above my experiences and skill. And so Peter goes out. We all know the story. He lets down the net and he goes to pull it up. And there is such a huge, overwhelming catch a fish that he's got to call for the other boats to come in and to help him because his would sink because of the abundance. See, there's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. So let us always do what is right. Could again, amen. Can I have James 1, 19 and 20 up on the screen? So we're talking about doing righteousness. We're talking about Seeking God's way of doing things. In James 1.19, just a powerful thing. Wherefore, my beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. In other words, hear the situation. Then evaluate it. So that when you talk, you talk like a man that has heard from heaven. And when you act... It's not your actions, it's a God action. The next verse. And it says, for the wrath or the activity or the response of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In other words, it rebels, it shuts it off, 
and imprisons it from being productive in his life. You got to do things the right way. Could he get an amen? All right, so we understand that we are talking about doing right, even though wrong always offers its opinion. Can I have a kingdom on the screen? Now, this is not the kingdom of God. You understand that. But it is a symbolism of a kingdom. I want you to come into the kingdom of God with me. I want you to come into the place where we are seated, where we have authority, where we have power. Come into my lobby. This is my lobby. Isn't it a wonderful lobby? That is where you enter into the kingdom of God, and it's so comfortable in past experiences, people just sleep in my lobby. They just go nowhere. They're just so comfortable and overwhelmed that all they repeat is, I'm in the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom. And they go no place. But see my lobby and my kingdom, you see that stairs going up. That leads to my bathroom. My bathroom is a place that you don't rest there, but you can go there and get cleaned up. You can go there and get smelly perfume. You can go there and have your shoes polished. You can go there and have your dress pressed. And you can go there and have all of the amenities that the natural man would need in a restroom. What a restroom. That's the kingdom. It's more than anybody needs. That's how the kingdom is. And then I have a bedroom. Now listen, I'm telling you, it's a knockout bedroom. It is a bedroom that you can go in there and safely rest. Lay down. Knowing that whatever you need on the carriage you rode or the people that came with you, your clothes or anything like that, as you just rest there in that bedroom, that... I am working on your behalf. Don't have to worry about it. Don't stay awake. Just fall asleep in the safety of my bedroom. Just lay there and enjoy yourself. Then I have a dining room. What a dining room. This dining room is unique because the buffet has anything on it and it is repetitively refreshed every half hour. Hams are brought out. Uh, egg, uh, uh, eggnoggin is brought out. Uh, chicken and steaks. And you can just eat anything. Even though your enemies are outside the door, there's a table prepared right there. And they can smell it and they can see you through the windows. But I'll tell you what. Anytime you want it, it's prepared. The chefs and the cooks and the provisionary people are constantly taking care of it. Your soup never has a chance to get cold. Your ham never has a chance to get stale. I'm telling you, the broth on the chicken that you're dumping in is, is just as hot. It's just, just right. That is my kitchen. Then I want to take you to my armory room. This is my armory room, weapon room. These weapons have been devised by 
scientists and even men of God that have come into my kingdom. And their weaponry in this is far superior to anything that the enemy could ever attack my castle with. You have no fear here because you are going to be protected and there's no weapon formed against you that is ever going to prosper against the access that you have to this. The only thing of it is, is this. Here is where the catch comes. So many times when people come in, they just stay in the lobby. Sometimes people will migrate to the bathroom, the bedroom, the kitchen, or the armory. But they get there and they just try to go in the door. Well, this kingdom is set up that it only functions according to the instructions by the doorway. And you have to read those instructions because it's set on a code that must be followed. And if you don't follow the code, you can't get in. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's there. You can have any of it. But if you don't do what the instructions on the door tells you to do, you don't get the benefits of the kingdom. So, so many people come in and they just try to force their way. They try to sit in the lobby. They try to do so many things, but the kingdom just will not operate for them because they simply don't pay attention to the instructions. And then, in the midst of all of this, there is a divine law. It is a law of yielding and a law of value. It means that anybody that you run into, you must yield to and give them right of access and prefer them above yourself. It is a law that you cannot get offended no matter what another person does. It means that there'll be no division in this kingdom. Anyone finding their self being divisive will be excommunicated. It is a place where we must always speak good, always be helpful, always give if we have something they need because this kingdom replaces anything that you disperse. This kingdom. In other words, when you come into this kingdom, you have to be a doer of the Lord of this kingdom. And you have to pay attention. And don't be rash or hasty in your activities or in your verbiage towards him, towards your enemies, or towards those that are in the kingdom. So you could say that you have to be a doer of the instructions, or you simply will not get anything. The Bible says that we are to work righteousness. To work righteousness. The word work means this, to put force. You don't have many people come to the kingdom that They're weary, they're tired, 
and they have access to everything. It's just so, they're so lazy they won't even push the code when it's in front of them. See, the word work means that you have to focus and put force for a desired end. And if you don't put that force, the bathroom won't open. You can die at the dining room door. Your enemies can assault and take you captive. You can labor, but there'll be no rest. You can do all of that if you simply are passive and don't apply the force within your hand. Now you would think that, well, that, that sounds strange. No. Hebrews 1-2 says that they heard the gospel, the same gospel that we have, but it never profited them or opened up the abundance of the reward of righteousness because they did not mix it with faith or they did not pursue it with a force. So, we are to work righteousness. Could again get an amen? We are to work righteousness. A man that works with God is a man that will experience God. See, God wants us to have everything in this kingdom. But without pushing the buttons that God has given you, the basic instructions of right and wrong, you set out into the lobby where enemies can invade, but they can't get into the provisions because there are codes. Exodus 29, 38 through 46, it says this. God says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell Israel to build the tabernacle this way. Now, I want you to do it my way. My way, not your way. You build it my way. And if you will build it my way, I will come and I will sanctify that sanctuary. Now, you and I both know that we are the temples of God. Exodus 29, 38 through 40 is the first time that the word temple is used. So if we want God to sanctify us, to keep us separated from the world, we're going to have to do things the right way. Amen. Could have given an amen. amen. The right way. The second thing he says, Moses, I want you to build it like this so that I can keep them righteous. In other words, God wants to keep us free from spot and blemish, but we need to do it his way. And he says, I want you to build it rightly so that my presence and my power will dwell upon the tabernacle. My presence will be there and my glory shall be shown forth. Do things right. God's power, his presence, and his glory will be seen in your life. And then he says, I want you to build it like this so that you will come into an organized place built after my desire that you may minister to me. We can't minister to the Lord by having lived unright activity in our life. 
And it says, I build this and build it rightly so that the priest can have interaction with me. We are the priest of God. And if you want to hear from God, if you want to experience God, then we're going to have to do things right. Could it get an amen? Yes, hallelujah. He desires to speak to us, but many of us simply cloud the work of righteousness where God uses to speak to us with unrighteous deeds. He desires to dwell in us. He said, Moses, tell them to build it this way that I may dwell in their midst. God won't dwell in an unholy temple. He won't dwell in a temple that refuses to do things right. We have to do things right. He desires to dwell in us. He desires to be our God. They had to do it the right way so that God could show what righteous people benefit from serving him. He needed, they needed to build it right so that they could work the work of righteousness. Do it God's way. For if we do not build the house the Lord's way, the house will not stand. Could have given amen. Amen. Let's go to 1 John quickly. 1 John, the first, uh, 1 John 3 and verse 4. 1 John 3 and 4. Hallelujah. I'm getting ready to wrap this up so that we can understand very simply what the work of righteousness is. Whosoever commit a sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Does anybody know what the law is? It is right. It is right. All unrighteousness is sin. In other words, when God tells us to do something and we don't do it, that's a transgression. Not that God casts us off. He begins to convict us. He begins to chasten us. He begins to call us back to the place of repentance. But please understand that when we don't do right, we give opportunity, just like Cain did, to the devil. It's laying at our door. Say, oh, you're, you're preaching about sin. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm preaching about righteousness. Now let's go to 1 John 3 and verse 7. And we're going to read through 12. Now little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth the right thing, the right way, is righteous, even as he, God, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now let me explain that. Christians make mistakes, but the intent and the motive of what they do is never to transgress God's will. We may get ensnared things. We may respond emotionally. We may respond out of our past experiences. We may respond out of fear and all of that kind of stuff. But 
That doesn't mean that God's done with us. That means God is quickly going to convict us and recover us from the snare of the adversary. So don't, oh, well, I, I sinned. Listen, friend, I've sinned sometimes the same thing in a day over 50 times. Keep having a thought of somebody because they did me wrong. I'm not offended, but I really am just disappointed, hurt, whatever it is. And I find myself going over in my mind what I think should happen to them. Now, I finally say, you know, God, I know you're true. But God, people have to die. I want to help you with the thoughts, God, that you have. People have to die. And I don't want them to sin anymore, so take them out. I know all you think, oh, I've never had those thoughts. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I had a quarter for every bad thought somebody had about me, I'd be in Aruba. I'd own Aruba. Now look, then it says this. In this, the children of God are manifest. The children of the devil... Whosoever doeth not right is not of God. Neither is he that loveth not his brother. This is a message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Next, last verse. Not as Cain. Not as Cain. Who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let's go to Psalms 15, 1 through 5. I know these are a lot of scriptures, but there's nothing wrong with scriptures. It is our bread. It is our milk. It is our meat. Praise God. It is the life of God into our lives, our veins. Lord, who shall abide in the tabernacle in the kingdom. Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Remember, one of the governments of the kingdom of God is you watch your mouth and then it says this nor doeth evil to his neighbor remember no offense in the kingdom whatsoever no wait go back let me finish reading that quick finger N nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is condemned but he honoreth them that fear the Lord he that sweareth to his own hurt, you keep your word, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his hand for money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth all these things shall never be moved. Shall never be moved. Never be moved. Never be moved. How do we work righteousness? The Bible says, 1 Peter 2, 20 on down, Jesus was reviled. So he told Peter, blow off at them. 
No. But Jesus reviled not. Jesus was a man tempted like you and I without sin. What did Jesus do? He did the right thing. That is what righteousness does. We are not called to curse. We are called to bless. But not everybody that wrongs us. Yes, we are called to bless. Why? Because when you bless, you can receive blessing. If you curse, it'll come back to you. Amen. Then, it says in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, how do we respond to need instead of complaining? Instead of constantly murmuring about our state of lack. The Bible says that they out of their deep poverty abounded, abounded unto their liberality. And they, they did it beyond their self. In other words, they did it the right way. In their self, they would have said, don't give, we can't afford it. But in the right way, God said, if you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. Deal with economics the way that God said to deal with them. Could it get an amen? I remember a day Eric and I was getting ready to go to the Philippines. It was the night before. And he came up to me right there. And he said, Pastor, we can't leave in the morning. I said, why? He said, we don't have no money for tickets. And I said, okay. He said, what do you want to do? I said, pack your clothes. He said, Pastor, we ain't got no money. I said, pack your clothes. We're going to the Philippines. He said, okay, I'm just telling you, Pastor. Nicole said, we ain't got no money. Then all of a sudden, there came a lady up to me. Now, I wish she'd come up to the, me this way more than not. But this time... She came up to me, and in a very matter-of-fact way, she said, Here, God told me to give you this. And I really didn't care what she felt or anything. I was just glad that I figured money was in that envelope. I opened up that envelope. It was a $10,000 check. Eric and I purchased tickets. And we were headed for the Philippines where thousands would come to Jesus Christ. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Mark, the fourth chapter in verse 35 says, The disciples became overwhelmed by the storm, but Jesus went to the front of the ship, right where things are worse, and he spoke to the storm. One of the ways to do things right is say what God said about you. Speak things that are not as though they are. Now, I know that we all know these things. I'm encouraging you to not let things get into your life that will cause the work of righteousness and its power and its blessing be stomped or snuffed out over your life. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 18, we are to rejoice, we are to praise, and in all things be thankful. Be thankful. Somebody say thankful. thankful. 
got a, an appointment with my grandchildren where we're spending on a Saturday night. We're going to spend all night here worshiping. So me and the grandchildren are going to be here worshiping God. Why? It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And so they will experience the right. His presence will come. His voice will come. His power will come. His presence will come. His glory will come. They'll be sanctified from things they're maybe struggling with or perceiving that they may be a partaker of. So the Bible says the just live by faith. In other words, we live by mixing faith with the right way of doing things. And we trust that righteousness will have its work, have its fruits, and bring forth its benefits in our life. Let's work the work of righteousness. You're in the kingdom. Don't stay in the lobby. But you're going to have to use the way that God gave you to use if you're ever going to access anything in that kingdom. Amen? Stand your feet. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Jesus. 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 Now, I'm not going to be around people today because <clears throat> you don't want what the devil's trying to put on me. And believe me, he's trying to put it on me. I don't want it to splash over on you. Amen. Say, well, how do you feel? Doesn't matter how I feel. I can tell you what I believe. I believe I'm being healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. Despite Despite what Phyllis has got me doing, taking trash out, painting the walls, sweeping the floor and all that, God is the strength of my life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lift your hands up towards heaven, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, this is the last time our family of faith may be together before that great holiday of celebration, that most holy moment, God, when heaven broke in to bring our Savior, Jesus, through a young virgin, that, God, we could be saved. God, that we could be redeemed. God, we thank you so much, so much, God, for Christmas, celebration of our hope of our salvation. God, we just ask you to bless every family, every individual in this sanctuary. And God, we proclaim over them that they will have a great Merry Christmas. And God, let us keep our focus on Jesus. Just on Jesus, God. God, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Now, you workers of righteousness, go and be blessed in the way